Hello and welcome to Succeed Through Speaking, the place for experts and entrepreneurs who want high-value ideas to boost business results. Hello, I'm Tom Bailey, and in today's Speaker Stories episode, I'll be getting to know Joe Leach, who is a trusted advisor and coach to CEOs of startups, high-growth tech, and Fortune and FTSE 100 companies. So, Joe, hello, and a very warm welcome to today's episode. Hi, Tom. Good to be here. Thanks so much for joining. And just out of interest, whereabouts are you in the world right now? Yeah, so now I live in Dorset on the south coast of the UK, so partway between Lyme Regis and Weymouth, so right at the bottom of the UK. Fantastic. We talk about living on the edge of the UK. Yeah, lovely down here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, great. Thank you so much. And I also know that you're the host of Make Better Decisions, the podcast, and are also a keynote speaker. So I wanted to begin by asking a question around how important has public speaking been for you in your career to date? That's a it's, do you know what? it's a good question and it's been it's it's ebbed and it's flowed for me really yeah, so um i definitely thought for a long time that it was my superpower and then it gave me got generated me all the work that in the world that i needed but the reality is is most recently i've i've not i'm not so sure actually it's been an interesting journey trying to figure out where public speaking fit into what i do and mm. who i am really so yeah Yes and no for me yes. in terms of success and usefulness for me. But it'll be yeah. interesting to explore that and chat to you about that today anyway. Absolutely, yeah. And, and I think the best place to start for me is right at the beginning, actually. So what's one of your earliest memories of having to stand up and deliver a presentation or, or do some form of public speaking? Yeah, so I remember it really the first time I had to do it is actually when I went to university. The school I went at wasn't great. No. When I went to university, it, it was in my first year, I had to give a presentation. I studied neuroscience at university which was very impressive when you talk to people at parties but not mm-hmm. easy and not particularly practical really in the real yeah. world yeah. and I had to give a presentation on the human brain in my first year and it was all I was awful like awful and I didn't quite know why I was awful because you know I've been conversationalist I can have a great chat to, to people but I mm-hmm. didn't when, when I kind of basically got up in front of the group i didn't know what to say i stuttered i kind of i just didn't really have a proper format for what i was doing i thought i could just kind of just get up there and kind of do it really i had some cards with talking points on and i had some overhead projector slides which shows how old i am some acetates with some images and stuff but i was just awful and it really stuck with me how bad i was at it and how much i was really dreadful and, um, but I thought I was going to be great. And so I went first and I wasn't. And then everybody else who went after me was much better than me. And yes, it was. And, a, and, and from that point, was, was the thought process, I'm never going to do that again? Or was it, I need to get better at that? Yeah, it was. I'm not going to do that again. I, I just assumed I was bad at it. And I thought it's either one of these things, you've either got it or you haven't. And I just well, thought, well, that's it. Then I'm, it's something I'm never going to do again. I thought I could do it. And actually, no, I can't. And so I put the whole kind of public speaking thing on hold. And that was sort of me at 18. Didn't think that I could ever do it again. And that was it. I thought, I'm done with it. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. And, and I guess for a lot of people, you know, they'll never pick that back up. And, and that one moment, that yeah. fear, that, that feeling of imposter syndrome, you know, it will stay with them for the rest of their life. And, and, and they'll miss oh, out on it. It was horrible. And I think what was interesting is you're right, that was the first time the imposter syndrome, I call I call my imposter syndrome imp, I even have a name for my imposter syndrome. Yeah. It's the first time it really hit me. And it 
yeah, it was, I'll never forget that feeling. It was absolutely frightening and not a feeling I was expecting to have as well. I just kind of went up, was like, oh, 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 this is bad. And it, it really has stuck with me. And yeah, I did get over it though. So good, good to reflect back though. And, and I guess the one thing I'd like to ask on the back of that is if you could, what you know now, if you could go back and, and, and you know, put an arm around young Joe and say, hey, you know, <laughs> here's my advice to you right now in the moment. What, what advice would that be, do you think? That's a very good question. I I don't know what I'd say to that person then, really, as I think it part of the journey was not, was not knowing necessarily what to do next, I think was interesting for me at that point, is I think what I'd have said to myself was kind of, it will be okay, you will figure it out, you yeah. will get better at this. That instinct that you kind of had, you can do this, was right. That fear that you had, that imposter syndrome, actually, in reality, is your superpower. The fact that you got up and you were nervous and you were scared is actually in the future what's going to make you a lot better and a lot, you know, make you a great public speaker in the end was the fact that you were nervous at this point in your life and that you do have imposter syndrome for when it comes to speaking. I've, I've seen that a lot with these interviews. A lot of the people I speak to um, are speakers because they were bad speakers to begin with. You know, they, 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 mm. it gave them more drive and determination to become a better speaker and it, it ultimately led them to where they are today. So I think, yeah, young, young Joe should definitely take that advice Absolutely. on board. And, and what about your journey since then? Have there been any big speaking disasters where you've questioned whether or not this is still the right thing to do or has it been a fairly straightforward yeah, journey? Oh, I mean, I've had, yeah, I've had many kind of disasters with it really. What was interesting for me though is I... What, what really gave me the confidence to know that I could do it again was I was a teacher. I retrained as a teacher, not kind of I wasn't a state school teacher. I trained myself as an English language teacher. So I went and did a course for sort of six weeks. And because it was such an intense six week course, they had to kind of teach you to be a teacher in a very short amount of time. And one of the most interesting approaches they used, which was actually quite horrific and quite scary at the time, was you you. We'd do a teaching, you'd, you'd all teach in the morning. So there'd be like five of you in your little group. You'd all teach in the morning. Then in the afternoon, you'd all watch mm. videotapes yeah. of the lessons. You'd watch the video of you, of you all teaching and you'd all criticize, you'd critique each other, really. Yeah. And that for me was the way that I got better f- much faster is that we did this every day for six weeks is we would teach in the morning and then in the evenings, in the afternoons, we'd then look at our teaching and look how we could improve it. And we'd look at ourselves, how we spoke, you know, and again, with English language teaching, because clarity is really important when you speak, we kind of learned not to use the ums and the ahs and the hesitations. It, it was a really a great way of getting faster in a quite protective, safe space with with other people who were also on that same journey to improve their teaching skills. And I ultimately went on to teach kids. Everybody else I was on that course with went to teach adults and I went to teach kids, which was, again, similarly very challenging because kids mm-hmm. are quite unforgiving of teachers as yeah. we all know we've all been yeah. there mm-hmm. and that taught me a lot about public speaking was a lot about projecting confidence and if your your audience can detect a slight amount of uncomfortableness in you teenagers will absolutely take advantage of that but then we've all been there when we've watched people giving speeches and doing public speaking if they're a little bit uncomfortable we kind of we feel that uncomfortableness on their behalf and it's quite difficult often to watch somebody mm-hmm. so that was the biggest thing for me was learning how to project confidence even when there wasn't any confidence underneath yeah because if you didn't then those teenagers would absolutely rip you to shreds and and just out of interest then so anybody listening that is a speaker or or, or maybe a starter speaker 
Um, maybe they feel like they don't yet have that confidence. What advice would you give to them to help them have more power, more presence, more authority when they speak? Um, it, my question and my thoughts are really the way I did it was to watch tapes yeah. of myself speaking. So mm-hmm. you, you like we've got it like a webcam. You, you just practice yourself. But the thing you've got to get over is you've got to watch yourself speaking back. So you watch a video self of, of you of you doing it, and you look at the mistakes you made. You know what worked well, what didn't work. But you're comfortably criticizing yourself, mm-hmm. which is honestly. It's horrible at first, mm. but it's the yeah. way you want to get better is you just practice by watching yourself and understanding where you make mistakes and not giving up. But but that for me, that was the best. The best way to get better was to critique myself. And if possible, if you can find a buddy or a group of you that can can do that with each other where you all watch each other speaking, mm-hmm. that's a comfortable place to fail because there's nothing like failing in front of some friends and having a good laugh about it. Because, yeah. you know, you mentioned disasters i've fallen off the stage before wow right and yeah. that is the kind of the worst nightmare well, i mean the worst nightmare is actually you know you're turning up and you're naked i've never mm-hmm. quite been there but no. i have fallen off the back of a stage before and i've had my laptop crash out in all my slides i've had no i've got an hour's keynote i've got no slides yeah you 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 learn from it going badly yeah and, and i guess it's just just knowing that, that those things will happen um you know, if, if you want to go down this this road this as a speaker, yeah. there will be things that come up. So it's just making sure you're prepared mentally, but also having backups as well. Definitely. I mean, the thing for me was the first time that I walked into a classroom as a teacher. I'm like, oh, this was not the class I was expecting to teach. I was mm-hmm. expecting to teach these kids tomorrow. Hold on a minute. I've got not got a lesson prepared. I've got okay. 90 minutes with this group of teenagers. Oh, oh, dear. And at that point. It's never as bad as you think it's going to be. That's yeah. I mean, that's easy for me to say, yeah. having been through it, but it never is. Mm. Is if you can tell a story, if you can recover, if you can sort of not, if you can deal with a, a challenge. So the biggest thing is mistakes will happen. It's how you recover from those mistakes yeah. that kind of makes the difference between a, 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 a nervous bad speaker and a great speaker. It's yeah. just knowing this will happen and just recovering from and, it. That's great. And I guess a lot of people who want to go on this journey but decide not to is because they're too worried about what mistakes and, and what issues yeah. might come up along the way but exactly. i guess know that they are going to happen and, and they are part of the journey and and just go at it to and just go for it, it go that, for the it. time i fell off the stage um was i thought you know that's that's going to be humiliating yeah. right so because i was talking talking you know not really look looking at the big screen behind me my arms were out i was not really looking where i was going and i sort of misstepped stumbled a couple of steps and fell through the curtain at the back and there just wasn't uh you know, it, it, I, and I fell off. I fell off the stage, and of course, initially people were like, oh, "You know, there's a shock of people." Oh, has he hurt himself? Mm-hmm. Followed by a sort of an element of nervous laughter, and then I sort of stood up and put my arms in the air as if I was okay, and everybody cheered. Yeah, like, that's not <laughs> what I expected to yeah. happen. Do you know what I mean? I thought yeah. it was going to be embarrassing, but the very fact that I kind of got up and put my arms in the air, people were relieved that I was okay. And what was interesting about 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 humor generally is is my i mentioned my my roots in neuroscience mm-hmm. is humor comes from it it evolved from um kind of a diffusing of a difficult situation yeah. so diffusing of a of an awkward situation diffusing of over emotion is as humans developed humor to overcome um difficult challenging situations and actually that was really helpful to me once I understood where humor came from to understand again how humor can help you when you are 
on stage as well because again a lot of people think they have to be funny and don't know how to be funny mm-hmm. and part of that journey for me was just was falling off the stage yeah. it was a point where i realized that hey i can be humorous yeah, I love even that. if that wasn't particularly planned <laughs> of course yeah um one thing i want to go into is a lot of speakers that i meet on the on this podcast tell me that it's really important to have a a topic you know a niche and quite defined niche that, that you talk about how, how do you find that as a speaker is it just based on your experiences or do you choose it and go after it how do you intend to find those That's a good question yeah you need to have your stick you need to have something that differentiates you from everybody mm-hmm. else and the challenge you have certainly again i have the imposter syndrome this is where imposter syndrome rears its ugly head yeah because as soon as you feel like you've got a niche or a, a specialty your imposter syndrome my imp comes up and says well that's not really a specialty everybody's talking about that i could i know at least five speakers that speak about that subject far better than me yeah and the real eye-opener for me with my speaking came when so my background is in in a kind of specialist element of design where it's applying psychology to the design of digital products yeah it's a quite specialist and i found myself early on talking to rooms of 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 psychologists so people had similar backgrounds to me so they were psychologists who moved into design and they knew the same things that i did and so my speaking was never particularly good and i never quite knew why and what actually was interesting to me is when i when i went and spoke at a kind of a, a standard website design conference how my how i was received was hugely different to yeah how i was received amongst my own what i thought were my peers and what what that really started out for me was realizing that actually what what speaking what good speakers are is that they're also they're running a kind of good import export business really they're they're looking at a knowledge gap they are that kind of they are the the one-eyed man you know in the land of the blind is what you're doing is you're taking something that the group of people you're speaking to don't know much about and you are telling them about that. That doesn't mean you have to be an expert in that. Like I've given talks on cryptocurrency. I know nothing about cryptocurrency, but the audience I was speaking to knew absolutely yeah. nothing about yeah. that as well. So the key about finding that niche is also most, I would start with finding the audience. Who is your audience? Who is the perfect audience for you? And then your niche can come from that. And if you feel like you're an expert in something, then maybe you need to look for a different audience where your expertise can be proving to be useful. Yeah. Um, so again, if you're an accountant, the worst place you can speak is at an accountancy conference. You know, the best place you can speak is, at a, you know, is at a, a business conference or a or design business. conference yeah. when, where, where people want to know about the things that you know, where there's an information gap, not to your peers, where you will be putting yourself under a lot of pressure to come up with something new, interesting and innovative. And that's hard. Yeah, that's a really uh, nice perspective. Not many people have talked about it that way in terms of you know finding the audience and, and making sure that you can add value to that audience as well and um, because there's a knowledge gap so i think that's a really really good way to look at it and um, so for those people listening who are so we talked about the kind of beginning of your journey what about those people that are starting to speak not yet paid keynote speakers mm. how do they then break through into that world of actually getting paid to speak rather than just speaking at their local you know social clubs for example what's that transition point yeah, it's a good question, actually. And it's it's one I wish I'd known a little bit earlier what the mm-hmm. secret is. And maybe, maybe my secret's not the same as everybody else's. Mm-hmm. But what I found was that was was cultivating relationships with event organisers. Of course, yeah. You know, that's basically it. Because event organisers want a couple of th- They want a few things from you, right? And believe it or not, giving a great 
talk is not necessarily the highest point on that. What they are after is, again, event organizers similar to the audience. They, they have an audience of people they sell tickets to. So they want something that's going to stimulate their audience, really. So they want a talk from you that's going to be spiky or provocative, even, even in its title. OK, mm -hmm. so they want something that's going to sell them tickets. Yeah. Really. And if you can sell tickets, you're going to get paid. Yeah. Simple as that. Really, that's the major difference. If you can get bums on seats, they will pay you. And what that can often mean is, is for speakers, there are two types of speakers. So I, I learned this from event organizers. There are two types of speakers. They are, there are the names. So again, I mentioned that I work and have worked historically in the world of tech conferences. That's really been my, mm. where I kind of cut my teeth is what was interesting is you'd find the speakers from the likes of Google and Facebook and Microsoft were the ones that were, were, were the highlight speakers. They were the ones that would would be on in the middle of the day and they'd often be the ones that people were most excited about. They'd be like, oh, great, it's, it's uh, Cheryl. She's an incredible designer at, at Google. I want to hear everything she has to say about that. And what you find about those people who have come from these large companies is they are not typically great public speakers. Mm. Right? They will get people in there and they'll have some interesting stories about life at Google and people are like, oh, that was a really interesting talk. Thank you very much. But the relevancy of that talk from somebody at Google to most people in the audience is low. Yeah. Yeah. And so the second part of getting in with event organizers is understanding, well, really, what is it that people want to be able to take home and put into action on the Monday morning afterwards? So you've got the audience is like, what can they get from you? That means that they are furiously taking notes during your talk. What is that one thing that they can do on Monday morning? What's that aha moment that you can supply to them that the likes of Google and Facebook speakers are not going to be able to do? Yeah. The Google fix will sell tickets and they'll have interesting stories, but really what people is going to stick with people is the speaker that you should try and be, which is the speaker that gives somebody, these people something to take home and use on a Monday morning in their job or in their life or something they can do straight away. Because that's really the second kind of speaker is the speaker that is life-changing or career-changing rather than having, you know, having worked at Google or Amazon or Facebook. And that's um, a really important point to hear because it, it means you don't have to be, you know, you don't have to have worked for Facebook or Google. You don't have to have been a celebrity or a footballer or you don't have to have sailed around the world in X number of days. You know, you can create content that's really incredible and, and changes people's lives. And, and that that's right. could be your, your gift to give back, I guess. And I think what's interesting about saying creating content as well is this is the other thing people get intimidated by. They're like, oh, I've got to do, you know, and a big mistake I see a lot of speakers make. They've, they've got, I've got to drop, I've got 40 minutes. I've got to drop 40, 40 thought bombs. Mm -hmm. And so the other mistakes I see is really smart people who've got loads of experience and loads of things to share, share 40 things. Mm. And again, that's crippling. By the time you get to the third or fourth thing, people have just, they, you know, they can't cope with that sheer volume of insight. Yeah. So really what you've got to hone it down to is basically one, two, at the most three key messages that, that people take home. And you just keep bashing people over the head with that over the course of the 25 minutes. Yeah. So if you look at my videos, nothing that I say is absolutely, I don't get into any depth, but what I do do is tell the same point from different angles many times. So people go, right, got that. I can see how I can use that. That's relevant to me. I can use that on Monday now and I can take that home. And the key you really want is that those points that stick with people. And, and then, and then not, not fill, but, but bring them to life with stories and anecdotes right. and case studies, yeah. et cetera. Fantastic. Um, and, and then you've got the, the forgetting curve, which you'll know about, you know, 80% of what, what you speak and say, they'll forget within, I think it's 20 minutes anyway. So there's no point 
you know, giving all that information because they won't retain it. And that's just how the brain works. Um, we we mentioned just before we we hit record um, your setup at, at home. So my question to you is, is how did you transition during the pandemic to go from stage speaker in person to now virtual speaker at, at home potentially? Um, yeah, it was. A, I mean, I think we all faced that challenge. I I was due to give a keynote on March twenty fifth. I think mm-hmm. the UK went into lockdown about March twenty. I can't remember exactly yeah. the exact date, yeah. but it was a couple of days. I had two days notice to really do what I had to do. Mm-hmm. And it was a real challenge. I mean, I, I was quite fortunate in that I'm a Brit. And so a lot of my speaking, what of the people I work with have been in the US. So I've done a lot of video conferences, yeah. and a lot of video training over the years. So I kind of was fairly comfortable with the transition. So I was like, yeah, I'm up for it. I'm going to try it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I had to make that shift quite quickly. And a big part of that was yeah, what you see around me here, which was creating a good audio experience, a good video experience, because again, we know that it can be quite fatiguing to listen to a speaker if there's an echo or the sound's not very good. Or, you know, I remember that first conference where the keynote speaker was kind of in the bottom corner with some headphones on in an echoey yeah. room. And it was really astonishingly difficult to listen to that person. And I was luckily I was on the next day in that conference. So it made me I spent a bit of time overnight kind of doing a little bit of sound treatment to my room, basically. You know, hanging some old curtains up and some clothes around me to help you get there. But yeah, really looking at the quality of audio is really the is paramount. Video you can kind of get away with unless it's truly horrific, but the quality of audio has to be extremely strong if you make that transition. And that was a big lesson I learned really was was that number one. And then there are of course many other lessons we can go into about brevity and types of content and what works and what doesn't and how to approach virtual speaking versus in person. That we all kind of picked up over the course of the two or three years of lockdown. And, and, it, and interestingly, it, it does look like we've bounced back to in-person, um, but, but it does feel like there's a hybrid element that, that's here to stay. Um, it'll be interesting mm. just to see how that plays out, I think, over the coming years. Yeah, I think what's interesting, actually, Tom, is, is in talking to, because again, I mentioned earlier on, cultivating good relationships with event organisers. Again, through through COVID, that was extremely important because that's, Giving them the giving them the confidence that they can run an virtual event was key. So you know, getting onto and I, I you know, and it also opened my world to. I spoke at a huge number of events. I spoke at loads of events in India and China. What for me is it kind of flattened the world a little bit more. Where I was having to fly to San Francisco to speak, and I was all over the world with international travel. Mm-hmm. Which again, to many who are starting out speaking, that sounds extremely glamorous. I've got a three-year-old daughter. Yeah. I, it's not no longer glamorous to be doing right. that kind of stuff. And so it taught me a lot about reach from a virtual point of view is really important. And you know what now? I don't take international speaking gigs anymore. I don't do it. I do some US stuff Mm -hmm. because the thing I find with speaking, I've spoken in Hong Kong and Singapore. If you speak in Hong Kong and Singapore, do you know what happens? You get work in Hong Kong and Singapore. And that means you've got to go to Hong Kong and Singapore again. And that's challenging for you if you've got to be on a different time zone and travel. So a lot about becoming more successful strategically thinking about your ge- geography mm. you know if you're virtual great and you're selling virtual products great but you know if you're doing work you're a consultant or a or a coach or that kind of thing you know you, you need to really think about and focus on where your audience is as well and yeah. lockdown really powered that home definitely yeah interesting well you've added a ton of value so far on the, on this podcast i really appreciate it and i've got one final question which is if somebody does want to book you to speak or wants to find out more about you what's the best place for them to connect with you online 
Well, I'm going to answer that with a controversial comment. Okay. I'm giving up. I've given up most of my public speaking. Mm. And what was interesting is I kind of alluded to this in the intro. And yes. What was interesting about that is I realized what public speaking did for me and for my business. So I was a consultant. I now am a coach. Again, it's quite hard to know the difference between those two things. But for many years, I thought that, that speaking was the thing that got and attracted and gave me work. Right. Is that it was the speaking that meant that people hired me. And I believed that to be true. And mm. I got to the point when my daughter was born in 2016. In 2017, I was I spoke at, I think, 10 international conferences. And I didn't see much of my daughter that first year of her life of course, because I yeah. was away traveling. Right. Mm. And I believed that if I didn't do my traveling for my speaking, that was going to be the end of my career. That would be it for me. That I wouldn't get any more consulting or coaching work. And the reality was is that wasn't the case is what consult what speaking gives you as a coach or a consultant or a specialist or in your field is it doesn't it doesn't it's not a tap for work like the work that you want to do but what it is is a way of 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 increasing your credibility and then we yeah. all know that mm -hmm. but what it is and what i find my speaking is useful for my speaking now is i've got three or four videos of my of speaking at various conferences that date back about five or six years that's all i need yeah because what i find these days is people introduce me and say oh you should work with joe you know you're a ceo of a tech company i'll work with joe and they go to my website and they watch a couple of videos of me speaking and go oh i really like what he talks about is there a way of reinforcing your credibility they don't necessarily set up your credibility in the same way a book doesn't. And again, I'm a published author. Yeah. Is they reinforce your credibility. They aren't your credibility. A really good point. And that insight for me was really interesting about how I felt that my speaking was my profession. And I was a public, professional public speaker for a little while. The reality is it's not. And so, yeah, you can book me, but I will probably say no yeah. to you yeah. if you want to book me. Mm -hmm. My website's Mr. Joe, M-R-J-O-E. Dot uk mr joe.uk you can find me there but i'll probably say no mm. because again it's got to be a really outstanding opportunity for me to speak to want to make that choice yeah really no it's a re really really good point and, and it just kind of rounds off rounds off your journey and, and it you know it shows yeah. that you, you wouldn't you haven't regretted doing the speaking and you've had the benefits now but um it's not continuing to bring that benefit so that's a really good way to round off the story thanks for that and what is i'll post a link no to your website in the show notes as well in case you want to just check you out or find out more about you thanks tom but thanks again joe really appreciate your time again and for adding such great value to our audience thank you